Hello and welcome to the Nationals Business Podcast with me, Andy Scott, and Mustafa Alrawi, the business editor for the National. Today we're looking at IPIC and Mubadala's coming together in a combined value of $125 billion. We'll also be looking at the Dubai government's call for a $3 billion loan to, to support the infrastructure build of the new airports. And food for thought, we'll be looking at the UAE's food and beverage sector. Mustafa, we heard about it in the summer, this merger of equals, is it? Mubadala and IPIC coming together? That's what the oil minister said. This is the first thing he said, actually. Um, so we have a story this morning in the business section from Anthony McCauley. Uh, we were both there in the room. Yesterday is Sohail al-Mazrui, who's both the oil minister and the MD of IPIC, which, of course, is working on a merger with Mubadla at the moment. So it's a merger of equals. He's very excited about the opportunities that could open up for the combined entity, essentially using the strength of both companies across the value chain. And he's, he focused mainly on energy, uh, oil and gas, downstream, upstream, you name it, everything, petrochemicals, uh, what they could do for each other in a number of territories. So we didn't have much detail when the announcement came out in August that this was going to happen. Everyone got very excited. But now, as our story says, it's beginning to take shape and we need to see what kind of uh, combined entity we could come up with. Well, you say it's a major of equals, but I, I think IPIC are about 66% energy, two-thirds anyway. Mobadal are only 10%. That doesn't sound like equals to me. Well, if you're just looking at oil and gas, perhaps not. Definitely IPIC is much heavier in that sector, but Mobadal has a whole number of interests elsewhere. You think about aviation uh, with Strata, which you know builds parts for A380s and other aircraft. You also have satellite communications. Yarsat's putting uh, these little satellites, big satellites, really up in, up in space. They've got a new one coming up in January. Uh, there's all kinds of industry that they're involved in, like semiconductor chip manufacturing. Uh, you name it. You know, they're also heavily financed. You know, they're almost like both of them in terms of uh, almost standalone banks, if you like, the amount of uh, borrowing they do and the amount of M&A that they do and the, the amount of investment across the world in different companies. So you, you're talking about a major player once they're done. I, I get that, but I'm, I'm trying to work out who benefits. The fact is, obviously, the, the, the two companies coming together means that there'll be a streamlining of operations. But what does that mean going forward? We, look, we're, we've been for some time in... Uh, an environment of austerity, uh, particularly in Abu Dhabi, the last few years, which accelerated when the oil price uh, fell to the levels it is now, or you know, bounced a little bit back from lows. But it, it's not what it was in, in the summer of 2014. And there, there definitely was a recognition earlier this year that we can't continue to be in austerity mode forever. At some point, we have to get into expansion mode. But that ain't easy if you've got entities such as IPIC, such as Mubadala, that are still grappling with the legacy of investments made at the peak in 2008, 2009. Together, however, they are able to perhaps move into expansionary mode. And this just doesn't apply to IPIC Mubadla, but if you look at the merger of FGB and NBAD, those two lenders will get together and form you know, a super regional lender, one that could perhaps challenge the likes of Standard Chartered and HSBC in emerging markets. Uh, we, all, we also have a slew of other combinations coming up across the board. And this is very much an effort uh, to to save, yes, save on cost, but essentially to be efficient, to be able to be more productive, to make more money. But you think it's going to be um, 
a facilitator for more investment rather than decreased investment. That's I, I exactly what the oil minister said yesterday. He said we will be looking at uh, expanding our, uh, in areas where we're already strong. Uh, once they're combined, um, IPIC will be uh, exposed to 30 markets instead of 20. Um, and, the, and he used a very good example. You know, we asked him, what's, what's going to happen? What are you guys going to do when you're combined? He said he didn't necessarily think that you'd have to integrate all the companies, but ultimately the company would look like an integrated company, particularly on the oil and gas side. But in Algeria, they'd be able to use Mubadla's um, upstream assets together with um, Sepsa, which is an IPIC-owned company, and perhaps together they'd be able to do something. I think it's actually, sorry, Mubadla's power generation in Algeria, and they'd be able to do something together in the sector uh, to, to make more money, basically, use each other's strengths. So combined, they're able to expand, but alone they're kind of consolidating all the time. So, and the last question on this is that, and it was mentioned in Anthony McCauley's piece this morning, uh, there was a delayed uh, announcement on this $3.5 billion refinery up in Fujera. Uh, you think that has a likelihood of going ahead now? Again, I refer to what the oil minister said. He said they, they've looked at a strategy whereby instead of the holding company paying for everything, they're asking the companies at, at the operational level, at the, at, the, at the kind of on the ground, if you like, to make those investments, which is a change. Initially, they were committing to the three and a half billion. Now they're saying, you know what, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Maybe we'll get somebody else to finance it. You know, we'll handle all the other elements of it. You know, we'll be the strategic partner, if you like. Those are my words, not his. But he, he definitely said they're looking at things in a different way, a more efficient way, a, a way, a way in which they can grow more quickly. There are investments on the horizon, he said. They will be in expansionary mode. This echoes what uh, Mubadla's boss, Khaldun al-Mubarak, said earlier this, this year, a few months ago. Um, he told the media that they are eyeing other kinds of investments. So this is good news because, as I said, uh, across Abu Dhabi, maybe across the world, if you like, we've, we've been too austere to this point. It's what the IMF has been saying. Everybody's been saying at some point we've got to you know, put our hands in our pockets now. Otherwise, things won't get better. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. We come to Dubai Airport. It's the government, Dubai's government, looking for $3 billion. Not in my pocket. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, Dubai Airport for, uh, looking to expand further. That's both airports. That's Dubai International and Al Maktoum International looking for $3 billion. They've gone to HSBC to, uh, to organise the funding. What I found strange about this is that they're being so open about that they are on the market for this money. Look, the, the difference between Dubai and, and other uh, parts of the world, perhaps, is they, they tend to remain on the front foot, uh, whatever's happening, because it's important for them to keep growing and keep moving. One of the most amazing and remarkable things about Dubai was even in the depths of the financial crisis, they never stopped building out infrastructure, which supported them when the market came back. And not everyone was able to do that, or had the foresight to do that. So last week, we had Michael Fahi writing about a number of infrastructure projects that are going ahead and are being worked on in Dubai. And this is that continuation of that, that they're saying, look, we, we're going to go and we'll get the funding for two very important projects uh, and related projects, which is the expansion of both international and Maktoum airports, uh, because we hope to have 146 million passengers flying through the Emirate by 2025, which is all part of our strategy. Our growth strategy supports trade, supports tourism, supports the economy. If we don't build up the capacity, then even though it's slow now, when things pick up again, which they will, 
If you think about Expo and all the other drivers coming on, a return of the oil price perhaps back to a more robust level at some point next year when market balances, when the market balances, as everyone keep promising us it will, uh, then they, they'll be ready to capitalize on that. They don't want to be caught behind. That's how they stay ahead. So they're saying we will use HSBC, our advisors, to help us get this $3 billion. They didn't confirm how. They said it could be conventional, could be Islamic, could be export credit, could be anything, right? But the point being that we'll go out and get cheap finance now while interest rates are very low, and we'll have that committed money on the side to continue these projects. And do you think they'll spend a few quid on getting a, kid, a few kids to shoot down some drones? They, it was, I was obviously talking about a, a drone that shut down the airport this week for over an well, hour. Emirates, well, I thought it used to be interesting about being open, interesting that Emirates Airline got very upset about that, uh, naturally, because every time the airport shuts, uh, it costs them millions of dirhams. Uh, but look, drones is a big issue around the world, and it comes down to any kind of new technology, how to regulate it, when to regulate it, not to stifle it, to allow it to, to grow, because innovation is the lifeblood. Of, of the economy, of, of our societies. But you know what? Sometimes a little bit of regulation early is better than no regulation at all because it stops things like this happening. I'll give you a good example. Um, when Airbnb uh, started to become more popular, Dubai stepped up and said, you know what? We're going to regulate this early on and said that only uh, you know certified brokers through the tourism office in Dubai could actually lease out uh, holiday homes through Airbnb. What's happened is they've been able to then loosen that over time. And now individuals, not just companies, can now uh, get licensed to do that. Meanwhile, you look at Singapore, you look at London, you look at New York, all kinds of problems with Airbnb across the board. Um, and I'm not talking about impacting the hotel sector, not that, but just in terms of security, health and safety, uh, actually violation of laws. They, they allowed it to go unregulated for so long, and now they're having to back-end things. It's harder to, when people get used to using these services. In some ways, I think there should be a balanced approach. Same with drones. They'd be a bit more maybe... Uh, meaningful, I guess, in, their, in, 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 in the beginning, then they wouldn't perhaps be dealing with some of these issues. Yeah, which is why I'm surprised that somebody hasn't already regulated them. In the fact, it- Well, they just banned them in Abu Dhabi, for example, which was one way to do it. Yes, that is one way of regulating something, I presume. Anyway, let's move on to the food and beverage sector, which I've, uh, I'm writing a report up on today in the fact that uh, one uh, consultancy, Glee Hospitality Solutions, they're called, they've opened 40 concepts, uh, that's more outlets than 40, but concepts um, from real high-end, five-star stuff, right down to uh, fast food concepts. They reckon that on average, those concepts will be losing up to 30% in revenues this year. They have found the constriction in the economy coupled with the exponential growth in the sector. One can't walk a block in the country, really, without coming across either a coffee shop, a cafe, a restaurant, casual dining, fast food. Uh, it's incredible just the amount uh, of outlets here. Uh, and that is having a detrimental effect on everyone's bottom line. This is more Dubai than sort of the rest of the country, right? There's an overcapacity at the moment. Definitely for the overcapacity, but I'm not sure necessarily that, uh, that revenues aren't falling in Abu Dhabi as well. Well, I, I, what I love about this is that, you know, I think and we know the Glee guys well, so I, I'm not suggesting that in any way that they're not right about this, but um, the, the, there's two mitigating factors here. First of all, that um, we're coming from a very high base, you know, where, you know, the, I think perhaps the, if you like the activity in the food and beverage industry here, uh, particularly in Dubai, was, you know, was 
on steroids almost at one point, you know, the amount of discretionary spending that was going on. But also there was a survey out this week saying that Dubai had the third highest spending visitors in the world. Um, and so, you know, and I know that the Glee guys have told you that they're the, probably the sweet spot is a lower price point to sort of less serviced communities in Dubai or less co- service nationalities. But also I think for too long, uh, restaurant operators were kind of milking it dry, um, you know, maxing out the amount that they were charging because, you know, there was that elasticity that could take it and because there was so much demand. And perhaps now that there is that capacity, we're seeing a bit more of a normalization of that segment. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, yeah, you did say it's primarily Dubai, which, of course, Dubai is the uh, is the growth uh, the growth driver here in the UAE. And uh, it has so many new not concepts, developments. So you've got City Walk 1, City Walk 2, the beach, of course. You've also got the marina. You've got Dubai Mall. You've got uh, Ibn Battuta expanding. You've got all the malls, I think, maybe not all, but most, uh, looking to extension and increase the amount of F&B inside those malls. There is only a a certain amount of saturation that the market can take. Right. I mean, look, there there was a a release today uh, from Emirates Towers, which at one point was sort of the F&B center of Dubai, um, you know, around 10 years yeah, ago, yeah. Um, where they're closing down the, the infamous or famous Harry Gatto's karaoke bar and, and also the Japanese restaurant there because they're going to revamp them um, into something else because it is a very cutthroat business at the moment. You can't just hang around with your brands. You have to keep making things new. But And, and, I, and the other day, I went down to the, the Habtor's new new hotels and tried out one of the, the F&B outlets there that was beautiful and very nice, but, you know, empty. Um, on a Friday night or Thursday night. And I think that there is a lot of choice out there. There is a lot on the market and it's very hard to sustain it. But again, it comes back to that point. If you believe in where the economy is going, if you believe that demand will be back, when do you get in? Well, that's you know, it. You yeah. know like if, you're not in, if you don't get in early enough, you won't take advantage of that. And trying to get in when the market's rising is much harder. It's true. The early bird gets the worm, so I told. Not that I think worms That's not a very nice yet. meal. No, no <laughs> it isn't. Egg, maybe sushi. It's the a new, er- new yeah. concept. The early, the early <laughs> F&B investor gets <laughs> yes. the sushi, I think. Well, uh, we'll leave you early birds, and uh, hopefully we'll, you'll hear us next week.